The other thing is, um, as, we, as we begin our sermon series on suffering, when life hurts, um, the topic's hard to talk about. One, it's easy for Christians, especially pastors, to come across as insensitive when you talk about the topic of suffering and pain. Secondly, it's hard to talk about theologically, biblically well in a way that truth is spoken in love. I shared in the morning service that a, a big part of the sermon series coming at the tail end of this or year was uh, in light of all the prayer requests and counseling sessions. Here's just some examples of prayer requests that we get as a staff throughout the year. Um, please pray for my grandmother. She has kidney tumor. They're waiting for the diagnostic test result. Here's another one. Pray for support and prayer as we've been trying for over three years to have a child. Please pray for us. Here's another one. Please pray for my mom as she faces two more months of chemotherapy. Here's another one. My five-month-old cousin, five-month-old cousin who's just been diagnosed with degenerative muscular disease. That's almost always fatal. Here's another one. Pray for my friend who was diagnosed with leukemia this week. Here's another one. My friend just had a miscarriage. It was her second. Please pray for healing. And then there are the spiritual attack variety, uh, spiritual attacks on my relationships. Here's another one. I have a really hard time forgiving my sister. I don't want to forgive her. Please pray for me. Please pray for my dad who has experienced deep pain and hurt because of church. Here's another one. Um, Please pray as I struggle with deep-seated loneliness. Here's another one. Uh, Please pray as I've been struggling with uh, fears and insecurities about my new job. Here's another one. Please pray for my relationship with my dad. Parents are going through divorce. She doesn't want anything to do with their dad. Please pray for my ability to forgive this person who hurt me deeply. The wounds run really deep. Please pray that I would love love my heart to forgive. And there is an emotional, psychological variety. Please pray for my family as they struggle with waning strength and faith due to depression, health afflictions, and emotional taxation. Here's another one. Please pray for my husband as he struggles with alcohol addiction. Here's another one. Please pray for my friend and her family as, they, as she struggles with depression as a wife and a mother. And I go on and on and on. Um, anybody relate? So a part of the challenge for this speaking, <laughs> preaching this sermon is that um, there's two varied responses. I have one person come up and go, thank you for speaking truth, like unadulterated truth. I needed to hear that, even if I don't want to. And then there are others of you for whom life is fine. Things are good. Suffering and pain, distant memory, something you're not familiar with. And it's an intellectual exercise in what we're going to talk about today. And part of my challenge this morning is to be able to speak to both of you in a way that's faithful to Scripture and hopefully pastoral. Um, Let me begin here, because the reality of pain and suffering and experiencing this, it's not an issue of if, but it's an issue of when. Would you agree with that? Can anybody living on the face of this earth escape pain and suffering in their life? No. But here's the problem. One, we live in a culture where we don't see suffering as normal, 
or natural or anything to be cultivated. Would you agree with that? We live in a culture that is an aversion to pain and suffering. We live in a culture that says, I'm going to do everything in my life, spend money, whatever I need to do, to make sure that I don't experience at all pain and suffering. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Not wanting to suffer is human, but thinking we don't deserve to is unchristian. Not wanting to suffer and have pain and affliction come into our lives is normal, natural. Matter of fact, there's something wrong with you if you go, I love it when pain and suffering come into my life. But for most of us, we go... I don't want it. But thinking that there's no use for it, here's the the thing. We might be the only culture on the face of this planet where suffering has no use. We might be the only culture on the face of the planet when suffering comes, we go, there's absolutely nothing good that come out of it, nothing I can learn from it, and I'm going to shun it at all costs. And matter of fact, it is unfair and unjust that this is happening to my life. That's the culture we live in. And you need to know that in terms of what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks. Here's the second problem is that we think that we don't have a choice when it comes to suffering. Many of us, when pain and suffering come into our lives, one of the first things we think happens is that it robs us of choices. It robs us of options. But here's the thing. You and I, when pain and suffering come, have one significant option and choice, and that is this, how we respond. How we respond. See, some of us are sitting here going, I don't have a choice in that. You do. We might not be able to control and have a choice in terms of what comes into our lives, and many times we don't with pain and suffering. But when we go, it robs us of anything that I can do. We do. We do. Someone once said this, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. The same pain and suffering that two people are going through, one person will become bitter, angry, resentful, and hard-hearted and say, I'm done with Christianity. And the same thing causes another person, for whatever reason, to become softer, more humble, more tender-hearted, more teachable. How you and I respond is up to us. And that's important as we continue this journey. Now, here's the thing, though. Let's just collectively come together. When suffering comes and pain comes, what's the one major question that we want to ask? Say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Why? It's universal. It's innate. Why? Why me? Why her? Why them? Why this? Why now? Why? And can I tell you this? Fixating on the question of why will hold you a prisoner. Because I I have bad news. We'll never know why. We'll never know why. This side of heaven, we'll never know why. So if you're sitting here, by the way, and you're going, I'm so glad you're preaching on this because at some point I wanted you to answer the question why. I can't. I can't. I'm not that smart. Because the only person that can answer the question of why is who? God himself. And we don't qualify for that job. But can I ask you this? Is why really the most important question when it comes to this? Maybe there's a different question we need to ask. Maybe there's a different question we need to ask. For example, and we're going to talk about this in three weeks, the question of why does God continue to allow evil and suffering if he's all-powerful, he's all-good? Why does God allow evil and suffering? You may disagree, but I'm going to say this. If God does exist, but he doesn't care, I don't think the question of why doesn't really matter. Because if there's a God and he doesn't care, then who cares? Who cares? 
If there is a God and he doesn't care, who cares? If there is a God who exists and he doesn't care, who cares? Doesn't matter? Doesn't matter. So we're going to attempt to answer the big question of why. Because Job's friends ask why. We're going to talk about Job next week. But I want to throw out there that maybe there's a more important question that we need to ask. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Open your Bibles with me, though. John chapter 9, verse 1. John chapter 9, verse 1. We're going to do an introduction today, which means that you're going to walk out with more questions than answers which means that we're going to cover a lot of sort of basic broad principles that we will dig into for the next two weeks, which means that the sermon might be unsatisfactory because how do you talk about suffering and pain in whatever time frame we have today? But what I want to do is lay a foundation for what we're going to build on in the next three weeks. John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And he, as Jesus, went along. He saw a man blind from birth. Verse 2, His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What question are the disciples asking? They're asking the why question. Now, here's the thing about the disciples. The fact that they're asking that question was very normative for that time. They were actually functioning from a worldview, a worldview, a mindset that said that what you did in the past in some way sort of resulted in what happened to you in the future. So he's going, what did he do? What did his parents do? What did the grandparents do? Why? What caused it is their question. They're operating from a mindset of, listen to this, simple cause and effect. Tit for that. Exchange, retributive exchange. You do this, good things will happen to you. You do this, bad things will happen to you. Today we call it karma. Do enough good things in life, and eventually karma will catch up to you, and good things will happen to you. You do bad things in life, and eventually bad things will happen to you. Can I ask you a question? Does anybody really believe in karma? The answer is yes. We live in a culture that believes in this. It's not just them. It's for those of us who believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, fall into this. You know what we call it in the church, though? We call it moralism. Moralism. Moralism is one of the ways to respond to pain and suffering. What is moralism? And some of you, this is going to sound very familiar because we grew up in churches that taught this. Well, your child is sick because you didn't pray enough. Do you know how devastating that is for a person to hear? What is that? Cause and effect. You do good things. You know why you're having financial problems? You don't have enough faith. What? moralism it's alive and well in the church that's the reason why some of you walked away from the church whether you realize or not you're functioning from moralism of the essence of christianity is what i do enough good things then good things are gonna happen to me if i do bad things then bad things are gonna happen to me and here was you you did a lot of good things which means in your mind that good things are going to happen. Then pain and suffering come flooding in. And your faith and your worldview can't sustain it. So what happens? There is no God. This doesn't make any sense. I'm done. See, moralism isn't just concept out there. Moralism is deeply embedded within our hearts. Do you know why? It's the default mode of the human heart. But can I have share with you amazing news? Amazing news? What is the essence of the gospel? The essence of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came and by his death and resurrection, once and for all, obliterated the cause and effect. Can I say that once more? Because <laughs> I don't know if this is good news to you. Some of you want to, because this is good news to me. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, on the cross, Jesus says, I'm going to come and obliterate cause and effect. How? You did bad. You are a terrible, rebellious sinner. And so what do I have got coming? Perfect righteousness. 
This is the reason why some of you struggle with the gospel. And I scream my head off every week to talk about this. Because you're functioning as a moralistic person who says, I'm good. I got good coming. What about pain and suffering? Well, where is this coming from? I don't deserve this. Jesus Christ comes on the cross and says, you know what you deserve? You know what I deserve? Death. Death. Sin and death. Eternal separation from God. God, that's what I got coming, right? God goes, oh, no, no, no. I reversed that course once and for all. Wow. Is that good news? You cannot, you cannot handle pain and suffering if this is not deeply embedded in the heart of your soul. Because when it comes, you're going to go, I'm good. What is this? Or even worse, I know I've been bad. So I just, God says, once and for all, done. By the way, this is the reason why thinking Christian listens to the news and some, excuse me, some stupid pastor gets up and says, the reason why Kachina happened is because of all the homosexuals. And I want to throw a brick through my TV. But what is he functioning from? Don't judge him too harshly. That's in our hearts too. What? Cause and effect. Tit for tat. Karma. Moralism. Here's another way though. If you're sitting there going, well, what about other people? Another way we respond is cynicism. You know what cynicism is? Moralism is, if I do good, do good. That's religious people. You know what cynicism is? Cynicism is somebody who says, you know why pain and suffering comes? Because there's no God. Oh, God. If there's a God, he doesn't care. He's out to lunch. Who cares? If this guy, he's indifferent. What God? It doesn't, cynicism. A lot of people wreck function from cynicism. You can't make pain, you can't make sense of pain and suffering. There's no God. So here's the thing. You know what those are? Those are pat answers. Everybody say pat answers. Pat answers. Because I want to go, how do you know? How do they know? How do you know God is out to lunch? How do you know God works from tit to tat? Those are pat answers. But do you know why you and I are drawn to pat answers? Do you know why there's a part of us that says, mm, I kind of like one, hold on to that. Do you know why? Do you know what pat answers are? Pat answers are attempts on our hearts to maintain control. How does this work? I'll give you an example. A religious person says, I'm good. So I got good coming, right, God? What are you doing? You're putting God in debt and saying, I control you, God. I'm good. So there better not be any pain and suffering coming to my life. I'm good. I control you. What is it? Cynicism. Cynicism is what? There's no God. I'm accountable to nobody. I can do whatever the heck I want to. If there was a God, why would he let this happen? What are you doing? Maintaining control. Do you know that that's at the foundation of our hearts? Do you know that that's at the foundation of our hearts? And you know what the Bible says? And here's the essence of Christianity. Can you live in the tension of the mystery with a God that you can't control? Can you live in the tension of the mystery of a God that you can't control? Citizen of moralism, I'm going to control God. <laughs> um, 11 o'clock, you guys, again, get the benefit of the fact that after 9 o'clock, I have all these conversations with people who go, oh, this and that. So one guy comes up to me. He's so honest. You know what he says? He's a public school teacher in the inner city of Chicago. You know what he said to me? He goes, Peter, this, he goes, you know what I do? He's like, I am suffering in Chicago. I am teaching at a hard school. I am doing all these things for God. I said, why? And he goes, because if I suffer for God here and do this for God, at some point, he'll spare me from the really, really big pain and suffering. Now, you see, they're going, well, that's kind of silly. You and I do that. God, I'm good. 
I'm going to behave. So we have a deal, right? But what do you do when pain and suffering come into your life? Many times, I'm out. Here's a third way we respond. Minimize. And this is rampant in the church. You know what minimization is? <laughs> How many of you in the health, health, public health sector? Minimization is, and I've heard Christians actually say this. I'm at a funeral, and I overhear a lady going to the person who lost a family member. You know, death is just a natural part of life. Yes, it is. But that's completely insensitive, you fool. You don't say that in front of somebody who's just lost somebody, loved one. You know how else we minimize? Why do you and I feel the need to exonerate God? Why do we do that? You know how we do that? How many of you have used Romans 8.28 as like an aspirin, spiritual aspirin? For God works for the good of all those. You know what Romans 8.28 is? I said this morning. It's like a spiritual shut up. Do you know what I mean? I'm going through a really hard thing. Romans 8.28. Oh, okay. I'm struggling. I know. Romans 8, 28. Okay, okay. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a spiritual shout out. We don't even know what Romans 8, 28 really means, but we just throw it out there. Here's another thing we do. We sanitize our language to minimize. What do I mean? I've been in small group settings where a married couple will share about their struggles, and it's hard, and you know, but then they always feel like they need to tie a bow at the end of it, you know, or share, you know what I'm talking about? They go, you know what, though? The Lord is sharpening us as iron sharpens iron. I just want to go. I just one of these, and I want to hear a married couple in a married, you know, the session go, we're struggling, and we just want to kill each other. We just want to kill each other. And all the Christians are nervous going, that's it. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Some of you, pain and suffering, you said they're going, I need to be a good Christian. Read the Psalms. The Psalms. Psalms. You know what the book of Psalms is? It's holy profanity. The Psalms is, the Psalms is God's people going, where are you? Why is this happening to me? Are you a loving God? Who said this is fair? That's the Psalms. And God says, I welcome that. I welcome that. You don't have to exonerate me. I welcome that. Shout. Be real. Be brutally honest. I can handle that. The only thing that God can't handle is your silence. Verse 3, Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. And I love that because you know what Jesus is doing? And if you're not a Christian here, I'm so glad that you're here this morning or you walked away from the faith. Because Jesus is essentially telling his disciples, your question of what causes and why did this happen is the wrong question. And, and can I just tell you something? Whenever we, listen, function from the cause and effect, karma, moralism, mindset, and we ask the why, what causes question, inevitably this is where we go, well, why does he have cancer? Who caused it? What, what, ha- what happened? There's a car accident. Someone's, someone's been in the hospital for a week. Well, why? What, what caused it? And then things like this. She was raped. Well, why? What ca- That's when you and I go down the path. If you do not believe to understand the gospel of either moralism, cynicism, or minimizing. And our answers come out cruel or just clueless. And Jesus is saying, nobody's at fault. 
Nobody, there's no cause and effect here. There's no tit for tat. There's no retributive exchange. Listen to what Jesus says, and I love it. He says, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And, and you guys, if you're taking notes, the word displayed, is, the root word is literally to shine. And it's described in Greek, this, this word that, that has something dirty, obstructed on it, but then it gets cleaned off. It gets, it gets buffed off, and that thing begins to shine and be displayed. And Jesus says, asking why, what causes is not... My main concern, my main concern is, what can God do? What can God do? I love the way Eugene Peterson, he's a Bible translator, he said it this way. His version is, you're looking You're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no cause and effect here. He says, look instead for what God can do. I would say this to you. The disciples' orientation, if you're taking notes, is past and causal. And you guys, listen very carefully. That's you and me. That's many of us sitting here. That's why with the question of pain and suffering, that's why it's so hard for us. Because whether we're Christian, our mindset is past and causal. This for that, cause and effect. What did I do? Good for good things and bad for bad things. Some sort of a a cosmic retributive exchange that's going on. And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not who I am. That's not how God works. Jesus is my orientation. His future and result. And he's saying, my aim and what I want to ask, what I want to ask in this is what can God do? Now, here's the thing. If you're sitting here this morning and you're going, that's completely unsatisfactory for me because unless I know why evil and suffering, why this happened to me, why these things are continuing to happen in the world, I want to apologize front. I can't answer that for you, but I want to propose that's not what is going to give you hope and anger. Because in the midst of pain and suffering, here's what I want to do. I want to I wanna ask this question. I want to say, God, take it beyond the realm of theory. Can you show me what you can do through suffering, pain, and death? God, take it out of the realm of theory, and I want you to show me, is there a time, was there a time when you took pain, suffering, and death. He showed what you can do. God, I want you to take it out of the realm of theory. And I want you to answer this question. What can you do through injustice and evil? That was done to me. I didn't have anything to do with it. It was done to me. Totally undeserving. Totally unfair. Totally unjust. What can you do? And where do you go? The answer? You go to the cross. This isn't just theoretical. This isn't just conceptual. This isn't just this nice knowledge, Peter. What can God do through pain, peace, suffering? If I just knew, if I only saw, and the cross of Jesus Christ shouts and declares, God can do something through suffering, evil, death, and injustice. There was a time when God declared for the entire world to see what God can do. 
through your hurt, through your pain, through your suffering, through the injustice. And we got to get eyeball to eyeball with the cross of Jesus Christ when suffering comes. And if you sit there going, well, the cross of Jesus Christ, that's for baby Christians. That's for people who get in. No, this is the reason why every Sunday I get up here and go, the gospel, the gospel is not just for a beginning Christian. It's every day after. It's not just the ABCs of the Christian life, but it's the A to Z of the Christian life. Because unless you get eyeball to eyeball with the Christian life, you don't have hope, not just for future, but every single day. I want to say to you, and this is the reason why I'm so tired, because I realize these are just words. And you're sitting there going, my life is good. They're just words. And then there's others of you who are like, I'm deeply in pain. Can you tell me that there's hope? And my only answer to you, for myself and to you, is that on this, God takes the most tragic, the most vile, the most treacherous, the most evil, the most unfair act in the history of the mankind and brings the most gloriously beautiful thing that the world has ever seen. Ashley, why is that good news to you? Thank you. I just picked on Ashley because she went, and she's a lone person clapping on the right-hand side. Did you hear her? She said, because it gives me hope. Because it gives you hope. Where else do you find hope in knowing why? I'm sorry, I've been a pastor for 20-some years. Information cannot heal a wounded heart. It can't. Tell somebody all the information you want if they've lost a loved one. It can't heal that wounded heart. The only thing that could bring healing is hope. And where is hope found for you and for me? It is at the cross of Jesus Christ. Peter, I've been raped. What can God do? What can God do? Peter, I've had miscarriages. What can God do? Peter, I have cancer. I've had cancer. What can God do? Peter, I've experienced injustice and sin against me. Suffering that most of the people in your church will never know. What can God do? And the only answer I could say to you is, I point you to the cross and I go, there's what God can do. It's the only hope I have when I'm sitting in my office and I hear, or coffee shops, the stories of the prairie because I read to you, and I am absolutely, utterly helpless and going, God, what can I possibly say to alleviate the pain? And I see God going, you can't. What do I say? Not a whole lot. What do I do? Not much. Anything, God? But that just seems so unsatisfactory. And thank God, God goes, it's not your job, man. Just point them. Because here's what we see in the cross. These are main broad principles, and we're going to dig into these things for the next couple of weeks. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on them. You ready? First of all, the cross removes the shock and surprise over suffering. 
Guys, we're being honest this morning. How many of us really, when pain and suffering come, we're, like, we're surprised? We get shocked. Okay, so the rest of you don't. The rest of you are like, yep, this is normal, natural part of living in a fallen world. Oh, you get shocked. Can I be honest with you? Do you know why I get shocked? Honestly, I'm telling you honestly because theologically I go, well, I know that we live in a fallen fallen world. I get shocked because deep down inside I go, I'm a good person. I'm just being honest. Deep down inside I go, I'm a good person. Why is this happening to me? And you know what I see? Listen, this is why the cross. I look at the cross and I go, who's hanging on the cross? A good person? The perfect sinless son of God is hanging on the cross. Here's maybe good news, bad news for you. Ready? The Bible never, ever promises that God will rescue you and me from suffering. And I'll say that once more. You're going to go home and go, he said that. I don't think that's true. No, look. God God never promises that he will rescue us. In Isaiah 47, he says, when you walk through the fire and the water, when I will be with you. God never promises. If you want to go, well, where's the examples? Look at the Bible of faithful men and women who've gone through horrendous suffering, the ultimate example being Jesus. God's plan and God's promise is never to rescue you from your pain and suffering. God's only promise is, I'm going to rescue through it. Number two, the cross helps us recognize God's own suffering. And you guys, full disclosure, Literally, this is where we're going for the next two weeks. And so you're going to hear various forms of this in Job next week and another and third week. This is because if you want to go, Peter, can you answer the question of if God, why would God allow evil and suffering to happen? I can't. I can't. And if you find us, really smart person will give the answer, please point me to them because I would love to read them. The cross doesn't tell us why God allows evil and suffering in the world, but the cross tells us what the answer isn't. The cross tells us. And the cross tells us that pain and suffering in the world is not because God doesn't care. It's not because God is indifferent. It's not because God doesn't love us. The cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate decoration that God comes into the world to end suffering once and for all without ending us. The cross is the ultimate declaration of God that he comes to destroy evil, injustice, and sin without destroying us. That is what the cross tells us. And the reason why that's important is because when you and I are suffering and hurting, I'll just be honest, for me, I've been a Christian for half of my life, I immediately go, God, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Immediately, that's where I go. Do you love me? Because I doubt it in pain and suffering. And the cross is the only place where I know God says, God, I feel abandoned. Do you know that I was abandoned so that you will never be abandoned? God, I feel like you're hidden. I feel like you're nowhere. I was thrown out so you'll never be thrown out. The cross is the only place I go to where I know that God's silence is not his absence. And God's hiddenness is not his abandonment. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only place where I can go to where I know, where I know that Jesus Christ came in in the form of a baby, walked upon this earth for 30 years, experiencing everything that humanity could possibly experience. And on the cross, he dies the ultimate unjust suffering and death.
when we cry out, God, do you care? Do you love me? Do you care about this world? This tells me not only that God loves me that much, but it also tells me that God hates suffering and pain that much. Do you ever wonder? I mean, maybe you and I have been Christians too long. You ever sit there and wonder, why would God do that? Why would the creator God subject himself to do that? Why? If you're not a Christian, why would you want to worship a God when you live in a world filled with pain and suffering? Why would you want to worship a God who is totally immune to pain and suffering? I couldn't. I couldn't worship a God who is immune to pain and suffering in a world filled with pain and suffering. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible, is not immune to pain and suffering. He knows it to level and degrees. You and I may never know. The Apostle John says it this way in 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. How does he show us? How does he tell us? And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you're a Christian, or I mean, actually, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, this is one of the hardest things about going through pain and suffering because it's either going to fall on cynicism or moralism. And one of the immediate human reflexes, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? This is not. And here's the thing. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not that the Christian is better than you. God knows we're not or that we're tougher than you. The only thing is, as a Christian, if you believe in the gospel, even though there's tremendous sorrow when pain and suffering comes, it's human nature. We experience sorrow. A Bible-believing Christian doesn't experience on top of the sorrow guilt. Where does the guilt come from? The guilt that comes from the moralizing of what, what, what happened in the past. What did I? And here's the thing. Oh, my gosh. If you're sitting there going, well, what did I do? The amount of guilt and sorrow that comes with because it could be anything, right? It could be anything. It could be, I could live a week and turn around and go, I could have been punished for that or that or that or that or that. Or that, or that, or that. If you're a Christian and you don't understand or know the gospel, or it's shallow and you haven't dug in, and you're struggling not just with sorrow, but a sense of guilt because you don't go, the Bible says that Jesus Christ obliterated once and for all the connection between cause and effect, punishment and deserving. Is that good news? This is why it was really hard at the 9 o'clock service. <laughs> the cross, next point, helps us remember that God has hidden purposes. Can I just ask you something? Let's be honest. If you were there on Good Friday, how many of us would have been like, that is the most beautiful display of God's wisdom and salvation for the world? You know what most of us would have done? We would have been like the disciples who said, I'm out of here. I'm going home. There's a God. There's a God. Are you kidding? He's a sham. He's a sham. He was a good man. There's a powerful, all-loving God. And he lets that happen. He lets that happen. If there's God, he's out to lunch. Why? That's what most of, would have, most of us would have said. But what does the cross of Jesus Christ say? And this is something that we'll wrestle with for the next two weeks. God takes the most tragic, evil, unjust event in history and brings about eternal good. The salvation and redemption, not just for you and me, but for this broken, messed up world, came. Through the cross. 
we're fortunate to stand on the other side of the cross. And we go, that is the most beautiful, redemptive thing in the history of the world. So here's my pastoral wisdom real quick. Would you be humble enough to know and not know what God is doing? Because if you're trying to interpret by your circumstances what God is up to and what God isn't, the Bible will not make any sense. We're celebrating the Christmas season. God takes a 12-year-old girl named Mary. Says, guess what? You're going to bear a child. How many people in her family and her culture said, that's amazing. This is the most amazing. People are like, what? No. And not know what God might be up to. Lastly, the cross helps us remember that God has revealed purposes. This is uh, going to be a little bit challenging because this isn't applicable to everybody, but this is applicable to many of us. Because when you look at the Bible, when you look in the Bible, you not only see that God has hidden purposes beyond the, sort of the thimble of our mind, but you also see that God had revealed purposes. And this is why the scripture says that when pain and suffering come, depending on how we respond, depending on how we cultivate it, we could become harder or softer. We can become bitter or become better. And your principles found in scripture and principles that I found in my own life and others in ministry Here's one revealed purpose. You lose your self-sufficiency. How many of you just know that's true? That through pain and suffering, you lose yourself to anybody? Yeah, so many of us are nothing, right? There's nothing that shook me out of my own false illusion of self-sufficiency than two years ago when my three-year-old daughter was vomiting up blood at 2 o'clock in the morning. And my wife and I had no idea what the heck was going on. Because it was that night, I'm going to be honest with you, it was that night that my false illusion and sham that I was actually in control of the world came crashing down. And it was also that night that I realized how self-sufficient and independent I was living of my life apart from community. It's that event that woke me up to the fact that I've been a pastor of this church for eight years and that I didn't really have deep community with large segments of this church. And that was almost a catalyst for me to go, Peter, are you doing life on your own? You think you're self-sufficient? You think you're in control? Secondly, it refines your commitment to God. How many of you, again, find that to be true? Because you know what? It's pain and suffering. Not everybody, but a lot of us. You know what it does? We face the question. God comes along and says, who are you serving? And why are you serving? Now let's wait and see who is waiting on who, hand and feet. Because as long as things were going great, got into school, got into the job, things were going great, you were willing to serve me, worship me, everything was good. But now that there is this going on in your life, who are you really serving? I'm going to tell you right now, there's nothing that breaks you and me, not just from a self-sufficiency, but refining our commitment to God and going, God, am I in this for you? Am I in this for me? I've said this about Christianity, and you've heard me say this many times. Get into Christianity only if you want to serve God, whether he serves you or not. Because if you got into Christianity so that God will serve you and be about your agenda and be about your life, you're going to disappoint it tomorrow, if not next week. 
the essence of Christianity. Who's God? Essence of Christianity, who's master? Essence of Christianity, who's Lord? Third, it makes us more useful to others. How many just know this to be true? Have you ever met somebody who impacted your life or done something tremendous for the world that didn't go through some level of pain and suffering that we find them? Anybody? I, this isn't even all that deep. I have never met somebody who impacted me and impacted others who had not gone through some tremendous amount of pain and suffering. You know why? Have you ever met someone who was truly tender-hearted and empathetic that never went through pain and suffering? Answer, I haven't. Have you met somebody who's truly able to give of themselves sacrificially in a way that was unconditional until they experienced and encountered something that genuinely broke them of things like selfishness, pride, and arrogance? Anybody? No. This isn't even all that deep. People that have a very, very, very charmed life and have never suffered, they're just shallow. They're just shallow. I don't think it's good or bad. They just are. You find someone whose level of depth and empathy, I guarantee you, part of their story they've gone through something uh, I, I shared this morning some of you know when i was 18 i got malaria in africa i was on a short-term mission trip and medically speaking doctor said i was supposed to die by the way after this i don't want any med students or residents coming up and going you had malaria I don't, I don't, it's a very painful memory i don't want to talk about it that's why i really talk about it the doctor said you were supposed to die i was in the intensive care for like four weeks after i got out after i got out came back to chicago like two years later, an older brother mentor that I respected came up to me, and he goes, do you know why you got malaria? I go, why? And he goes, because God wanted to break you. And I wanted to punch him in the face. I honestly did. And I resented him for like five years. But can I tell you something today? The guy that's standing in front of you is so arrogant, is so proud, is so hard-headed that if not for pain and suffering that breaks that in me, I could never be of any use to God. It's just the honest truth. It's just the honest truth. I don't become more useful and humble because I read the Bible and God goes, blessed are those who are pure or humble. I don't. Maybe you are. Maybe you're one of those people and going, I need to be humble. Yes, Lord, tomorrow. Maybe that's you. I don't know. That's not me. You know what I need? You know what I need? I need, I need, I need. What the heck is this God to come flooding into my life to break me of my unbelief and idolatry? And lastly, it becomes a mode of witness, and we'll talk about this more next week. Do you know that your life has a megaphone attached to it? Your life is indistinguishable from those who don't know Jesus if everything is going well. When they can tell the difference is when all crap hits the fan, they go, all right, what, uh, what you look like? You're Christian, right? What do you look like? What do you look like? That's when a megaphone is put into our lives and going, am I displaying who God is? Listen. You have a choice when you go through pain and suffering. Can I just say this? It's easy and effortless to become bitter, angry, resentful. It's easy. It takes no effort. Just naturally goes there. You know what is hard? That I'm going to choose to make much of you through this. I want to end with this, Carlton. See, uh, 
my natural tendency, your natural tendency when we go through pain and suffering is to run the heck away from this as far as possible. And you know what I'm talking about. We want to run away from the cross. We want to run away from God. Unjust, fair, I don't deserve. We just want to go, God, I want, I want to encourage you and challenge you. What, what do you see when you run to the cross? What do you see when you run to the cross, not away from it, run to the cross and you ask the question, what can God do? What do you see when you run to the cross and ask the question, what can God do? What can you do, God, with my hurt, with my pain? What can you do, God, with my suffering, with my cancer? What can you do, God? And no, the cross will not tell you the reasons why those things are happening and have happened. But the cross will absolutely be able to tell you what the reasons are not. And the reasons are not that he doesn't care, that he's indifferent, that he's distant. This is my only hope. This is my only hope is to know that 2,000 years ago, the Creator God came into the world during the season called Advent, took on flesh and bone, experienced hunger, thirst, rejection, and ultimately on the cross, experienced the ultimate humiliating, unjust act ever in the history of the world. Why? So that He can say, in your suffering, in your pain, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am for you. I am for you. I am for you. I am for you. I have not abandoned you, child. I am not silent, child. I have not thrown you out, child. I am not indifferent, child. This and getting eyeball to eyeball with this truth. This truth is my only hope. And it's your only hope. Help us, Jesus, this week. Regardless of where we are in our life today, to get eyeball to eyeball with your cross. Every single day with the first breath that we take. Help us to get eyeball, eyeball with the cross and what you did 2,000 years ago. May that be our hope. May that be our anchor. May that be our foundation. May that be the only resource that we have to live this life and to display your glory. Pray that the Spirit of God that lives within you would go beside you, behind you, before you. As he leads you early tomorrow morning for the rest of the week. Live with assurance and the knowledge and encouragement that God is for you, that he is with you, he is Emmanuel. Jesus, come with us. He lives 
inside of you. May He become your source of strength, your source of hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. All God's people said, Amen. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you back here next week.